and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Mr. Grayson. And it's a novelty that this is the second podcast running that we're in a good mood. That is a novelty. That is a novelty. Hmm. Well, what we'll do to kick things off is... We, we have to carry on with the commentary quiz because we won another football match. So we'll come on to that football match in a, in a moment. But we are going to go back to our commentary quiz. And this week, I'm going to go first, if that's all right with you, Mr. Grayson. Yes, it's your turn. It's your turn. I'm ready and waiting. OK, so your first line of commentary is, oh, a great tackle by LeBerth. <laughs> oh, uh, that is um, Silvino. Uh no, it it's is. not. Is it? It Wait, is. Silvino it is. in the two-all at Chelsea. That is correct. I didn't know whether it was going to be Nutty Nigel there for a second, but no, Frank LeBert, what a strike. It's one that I go back to very, very often. Uh, I'll just say what I say every week. It's one of my favourite goals of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gone with that because it was a left-back scoring an absolute worldie? Well, we did it. We do have a tendency of a left-back scoring a worldie. And uh, obviously that links very nicely to uh, the West Brom game with Kieran Tierney absolutely bossing it. But um, yeah, that, that was just one that, I, that jumped into my mind. Then the commentary continues. It's come to Silvino. Well, that is absolutely astonishing. And it is one of those goals that uh, it, the movement on the ball doesn't look like something that should happen. No. But it somehow travels ridiculously quickly and bends so, so fast into the top corner and very similar to uh, Nutty Nigel's, but the other side of the goal. So mm. it's uh, but wonderful, wonderful memory. It really was. And especially after Winterburn's winner, uh, I was so excited. And I think I was probably young enough to think that meant a left-back would score every week. Uh, sorry, every time we played Chelsea away from home. Um, they were two of the most spectacular goals. And we, we, we hadn't seen, we weren't blessed with many long-range strikes at the time. So uh, I remember being particularly enamoured with that one. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, and then obviously Andre Santos later on uh, decided oh. to pop up as another left-back scoring against Chelsea. <laughs> great name, great name. Um, great name, yeah. not so great a footballer. <laughs> hey, whoa. <laughs> yeah okay whoa Fair. pump the brakes whoa, steady steady i think you'll find we came, he came in for some fairly moderate praise uh in our emirates <laughs> era <laughs> podcast okay he, did. he came you... through with flying colors Sniper foot from the nigerian oh great tackle Tyler Burf. it comes to silvino well that is absolutely astonishing well, I don't believe that strike. That is sensational. What an ending we're getting to this match. Are you ready? I am ready, yes. There's the cutback. There's the chance. And there's the opening goal. Ooh, that's a toughie. Is that... Is it Aaron Ramsey against Man United? Nope. Nope, but the clue I'm going to give you is because there isn't really another line. Is that Aaron Ramsey produces the cutback? Oh, I think this could be one of the first ones that I, I don't get. Um, 
God, just repeat it again, and I'll see if we can go from there. Okay, I'll try and I'll try and mimic some emotion, as that's often helped. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> there's the cutback. There's the chance, and there's the opening goal. Absolutely superb. So it is the commentary, Martin Tyler. No, it's Bill Leslie. <laughs> oh, good old Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Love Bill the Leslie. The lesser spotted Bill Leslie. <sighs> I don't think I'm going to get that. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a clue. Okay. It was in the Champions League. Oh, that is Meza Ozil against Napoli. Yes, it is. Very good. Oh, what a goal. What, oh, what a goal. Uh, Meza Ozil's first goal for Arsenal Football Club. But what what a finish. Oh. Just The finish is ridiculous. <laughs> like He makes it look so, so easy. And that's always a sign of a great player. But... <laughs> Honestly, that's got me so excited thinking about that goal again. <laughs> yeah, and and I remember because I know uh, I know it's uh, relevant towards what we'll do towards the end of the podcast. But it was that whole the reason I thought of that goal was just thinking about that whole period, how exciting it was. It was so exciting at the time, and we played Napoli off the park for twenty uh, for that first half. It was football we hadn't seen before. Um, it had gone stepped up to another level. And I remember that being the last time I think I felt so enthralled by what we were doing on the pitch. And again, even relating it again, that second goal against West Brom, just seeing that Arsenal goal uh, and the way Ozil finishes that, it just uh, was it was just stunning. And it was, again, it was just football we hadn't seen before. Ramsey on the right, Ozil number 10. Giroud was phenomenal that day and Napoli were a top team. Uh, we, of course, went and lost there as well in the, the return game uh, in the group stages. But yeah, special goal. Yeah, it really was. I, I know what you mean about the it, it feeling like or like a transformative moment that um, the, the football we were playing, obviously with the arrival of Mesut Ozil, there was a, a level of expectation um, to Arsenal, but with with the intent of heading back in the right direction, and it really felt at that time that we were heading towards where we needed to go. Um, obviously, it never never quite materialised into a uh, a title or anything like that. But it's still uh, at the, at that point, it really did feel like anything was possible moving forward, and it was just so entertaining watching Arsenal play. Um, and that is as good of an example from that season as you're going to find. That first 45 against Napoli. We've learnt a little bit about the uh, Napoli attacking threat there. And here comes Arsenal's real attacking threat. It's Aaron Ramsey. There's the cutback. There's the chance. And there's the opening goal. Okay, so we've linked quite nicely a couple of times uh, to the West Brom game. Obviously, Arsenal beat West Bromwich Albion 4 0 away from home um, uh, a few days ago. I have to say, and we said it when we were texting each other, that is as entertaining as Arsenal have been in a long, long time, particularly in the opening 45. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think really pleased to see, I think you called exactly the team um, with Aubameyang coming in for Martinelli, which was really good management. And I think... I was delighted by the team, but more delighted with how we played. You know, as I texted you before the game, the ingredients were there. Big Sam, 
Snow, former Arsenal centre-half, Shemi Ajayi, who's a monster in the air, uh, playing against us. It, it had all the hallmarks of, you know, insipid Arsenal away performance, um, but uh, far from it. And, you know, I think... we. <sighs> It was just so good. I mean, to win 4-0, third time in Arteta's uh, reign, we've got four. But this, for me, more than the Newcastle and Norwich games where we scored four, this was the one that I felt we absolutely ripped West Brom to shreds, really. Yeah, and I I, I think it's probably uh, important to highlight that West Brom are not a good team. But they're, they are also a team that have gone to Liverpool and Man City and picked up points. Mm-hmm. So they're a team that, that can put in performances, really stubborn defensive performances when they when they want to. Um, but I just think we didn't give them an opportunity. We moved the ball quickly. Uh, we controlled possession. Uh, the movement off the ball was fantastic. And we just never gave them any opportunity to settle. It was just relentless um, pressure, particularly in that first half. Um, and obviously, the thing I'm going to touch on is uh, Kieran Tierney's goal, because we all know how much I love Kieran Tierney. And if there's an image that sums up that man, it is with the snow pouring down, him running away celebrating in his T-shirt, <laughs> having, having scored a goal like that, which just showed sheer determination. There wasn't anything particularly flashy about what he did. But like He knocked the ball around um, a player and went the other side. He turned back inside and then just bent it into the far corner. And all of that together looks fantastic, but in isolation, nothing within that goal is that that is exceptional in terms of trickery or anything like that. It's just pure determination of trying to get from one point to the other. And I, I, I've got to say, he is just the best player in the world, isn't he? <laughs> He's the best left back in the world. The best player in the world was playing on the right wing. Um, <laughs> that is true, but we're blessed. We've got probably the top two players in in the world in the coming years, and they both play for Arsenal. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, uh, what a goal! And again, West Brom had just had that. We started really brightly, and you could see the confidence flowing in the team, which is something I want to ask you about. I want to sort of come back to about what does this all. You know, it's, it's very hard not to compartmentalise everything and get so excited. What does it all mean? But I do want to ask you what it all means. Um, but I I think you could see the confidence from the off. How Martin, uh, was it Martin Atkinson who was the ref? How he didn't give a foul for either the foul, I think it was on Ceballos, then Xhaka leading up to their one chance before we scored. I do not know. And it, it probably yeah. wouldn't have been ruled out for VAR. But it was one of these where like, my blood was boiling as that attack was building. I was like, it was a foul! It was a foul! Kelly! It, look, it was a foul! She, and she said, OK, darling. <laughs> no, she was going, yeah, yeah, it's a fucking foul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh, on goes the explicit warning but sorry uh, <laughs> worth it for the joke um, but then but then we took hold with that goal and again the determination that man we just we just love him you described it beautifully but for me the goal that for me I just I, I can't stop thinking about our second goal because for me it was an, a goal in the image of Arsenal that Wenger created, but the parts we loved, the parts we adored, because they would have grown up 
dining on the feast of Arsenal movement. That would have been their upbringing. You know, Wenger's not been gone that long. When they came up through the Arsenal Academy at Hale End, his values, but the way to play came through them because we have not worked on that move in training. Surely not. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. it, It was one of those where that is just footballers, their brains connect the wavelengths are are completely on point because that goal that movement you know starting with Bellerin again Arsenal Academy you know it's often forgotten uh, driving up the pitch into Saka round the corner Smithrow round the corner carries on his run Lacazette art Smithrow the touch with his left foot is sensational and I was sure he was going to shoot but no he he squares it to Saka and that was Arsenal Football Club that we want to see. That is everything as a fan. You can take the losses. You can take everything. Those moments of beauty is synonymous with us as a club. And to see it back there was just mesmeric. Yeah, it really was. And I stood up and applauded in my living room when that goal went in. And Laura just kind of looked at me like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And and I turned to her and said, really? But yeah, you described it beautifully and it's just, it's been such a long time since we've seen a goal like that scored by our team and the fact that it was crafted um, by our academy players kind of says it all Um, and and that makes it even even sweeter and even more special. Mm. So that that was tremendous to see. then obviously in the second half, we you could see at the start of the second half we were kind of taking our not taking our foot off the gas, but maybe taking a bit more of a back seat and letting West Brom have a bit more of a, uh, possession, um, which they didn't create anything with bar the uh, the goal that got ruled out for offside. Um, and then Lacazette obviously helped himself to a brace. Uh, what I wanted to talk about is the movement by Emil Smith Rowe for uh, Lacazette's second. Because he picks the ball up in it's sort of in the middle of the. Uh, I don't think no, he doesn't even touch it actually. But the ball comes through him uh, into the middle of the park, and his run mm-hmm. from just inside his half to the focal point of our attack is what opens the game up, and that is what we have been lacking. We've been lacking that drive from midfield, um, and it, you can see how big a difference it makes because he's travelled sixty yards and not received the ball, but has ultimately created the space, allowing Lacazette not only to, to finish the chance, but also for Aubameyang to, to run with the ball as far as he did and then play it out wide to, to Tierney to cross it in. Mm-hmm. So it just smacks of everything we have been missing. And it's just so nice seeing Arsenal play with a number 10. And I, I'm absolutely loving Emil Smith-Rowe at the moment because he's just a breath of fresh air. He really is. He really is. Modern day number 10. Modern day number 10. That's what they look like. You know, if you've watched City and you watch Silver and De Bruyne, they were doing that. Their off the ball work is so important. And that is why, you know, with January coming up, we need to just be so careful because we can't have Smith Rowe playing absolutely every game. Um, I'll loop back to some uh, some ideas uh, on that and some things that have been rumoured later on. But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Described it so well. I mean, I think just going to Lacazette's first goal, because we have to talk about Bukayo Saka, because for me, we played sort of fuck you football, which I haven't seen Arsenal demonstrate for a long time. It's like, we, sh- I should, like Saka played, like, I don't know why I'm on the pitch with these 
these lot. Like it was a bit like <laughs> he was like, "This is a waste of my time." Yeah, it's right, too it's it. too easy. I'm just going to take the piss. Yeah, I'll go left. I'll go right. I'll square it. I'll do whatever. I'll look back post. I'll look near post. Do you want to cross over your headkeeper? Don't worry, I can do that as well. And the third goal, um, where he beats uh, Daro Shea, who who was out of position, but we have been playing left backs and right full backs out of position and not taking advantage. And it was so lovely for us to just keep giving Saka the ball. But what I love about this player is he goes inside and he goes outside when he's on that right wing, which we don't get from any other option that plays there, which, you know, we don't need to keep saying every time, which is a massive indictment of Pepe, even though it is um, <laughs> because Saka is just better than him. Uh, but the fact he can go on that right side and there's a really good right foot, his cross is fantastic. It's a bit of a shame, uh, whilst I'm delighted for Lacazette, and I would have loved Smith-Rowe to have scored. Like, you get so greedy when you can see your team can score. Because you're like, wouldn't mind Willian getting off the mark? Wouldn't mind a Bamiyang scoring? Uh, just for his confidence. But the reality is 4-0. But the way Saka beat ghosts past him on the outside, whips it in, and yeah, look, a couple of deflected shots and a very strange um, Ajayi effort. Uh, but Lacazette tucks it in, and you knew then we'd won. Did you see Danny Ceballos' celebration? I did. It was it was amazing, wasn't it? Uh, the the host of this podcast, Jonathan Dunn, actually sent me that um, yesterday morning and just said, "I've just discovered this, and it's my favourite thing." <laughs> Honestly, it's not the like when Sanya did that after we won the ended the drought in the FA Cup final, and Wenger kissed his head. Fair enough. Three nil away at West Brom. Come on, sunshine, stand up. Go. Over. <laughs> But, but his celebration was surpassed last night by Ralph Hasenhutl, who uh, cried. But cried after beating Liverpool. So. Fair play, Ralph. Look, I get it. I get it. Emotional stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, that was something else. That was something else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think what I wanted to ask you really is it's amazing what we can do. Three games, three wins, but they got progressively, uh, well, not progressively better, but the way we played got progressively better with the confidence flowing. I don't know if you've looked at our fixtures after uh, the double Newcastle and Palace game, but it's basically every team we lost to in a row. Uh, we lost eight games. We've basically got all eight sides with Man United thrown in, uh, who are obviously playing extremely well. And it's just really, where should our expectation be for a lot of those games? Is it redemption? Is it that, my goodness, actually, thank goodness we won these because we're away from the drop? You know, where do you, where's your mind at with it? I think a little bit of both, uh, if I'm honest. Um, redemption, I think, is probably the key word there because I think this is about players recovering their reputations and trying to recover the reputation of the football club. And re really, realistically, I know we said on this podcast that we were in a relegation battle. Uh, we knew if we picked up a couple wins on the bounce, we knew we would get ourselves clear of that. And... Obviously, factoring in Thomas Party returning as well, um, that's something else which should take this team to, to a different level. So, fingers crossed that, that we can draw a line under that conversation. Um, however, 
I'm very wary about getting too ahead of myself. And I think that's probably a le- lesson learned from previous podcasts. <laughs> um, that we are still a team that's a long way off from being able to compete. And <clears throat> as much as I look at the table and think, well, you know what? We're not out of the conversation for top four. We're not out of the conversation for European football at all. Um, realistically, this side... And uh, it's not good enough to get top four in my eyes at the moment. Mm-hmm. Something needs to change for that to be able to happen. So I think that the realistic expectations probably has to be looking at getting back in the Europa League again. Um, and I think that's that's completely attainable. Um, but it is all about sort of making sure that these players recover from that from that damning period and they recover the reputation of, of the club as well. That, that would probably be my stance on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, you know, I have to ask if I offered you eighth <laughs> place, eighth place now, would you take it? Looking at that run of fixtures after, um, our, let's say, our kind run of fixtures in the next couple of games, then I, pro- I probably would because then it, it, it's not an indicator of something going as massively wrong this season as it actually has (laughs) and I suppose I I think that would probably be considering that middle chunk of the season probably be a a, a decent result Hmm. if we could do something in the Europa League then that changes things massively because I'd I'd happily take uh, a lower league position than that if it meant we were going to win the Europa League (laughs) yeah yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean I mean the way the Europa League falls is horrible after Benfica away, City at home. Uh, after Benfica at home, Leicester away. Sandwich between, if we did get through, sandwich between the two legs is Tottenham at home. You know, we are talking about, you know, I'd take eighth if it meant a good Europa League run, but I, I probably would because I think it means we'll have a nice run till the end of the season. The league, as we know, is absolutely crazy. You know, how we're three points behind Chelsea and Lampard suddenly is is under, you know, the same scrutiny Arteta was under. Uh, this league is crazy. And who knows what will happen? You know, if we can come out, we lost. If we can take those eight losses, say we even lose four of them and lose 12 of the season, but turn the other four into wins, we could come comfortably sixth. Um, yeah. And it's just about whether, for me, there's a really difficult challenge for the Arsenal hierarchy which leads beautifully onto January, because if we go with a short termism approach to January, I really think we set ourselves back again. Whereas here's a couple of the things I've seen um, rumoured, which I adore, by the way. So I don't know if you saw that Eddie and Ketty is linked with Wolves for 10 to 15. If we can get 12 million for Eddie and Ketia and Balogun is promoted, that is exactly what your academy is for. And that is exactly why you've played Eddie in all these games. And Wolves might be his level. If he's even better, you buy him back in a few years for 40 million and you take it on the chin and go, we've got an amazing striker. He doesn't look good enough for the Premier League. Stop messing around with loans. Sell it. He probably won't be worth more in a COVID market than 15 million. So take it. Promote Balogun. And that's great work. The other one I saw was Willock or Nelson for Buendia. And if I think about if I were choosing two transfers to happen, I don't know whether I made these up because I wish them to happen. <laughs> Willock or Nelson. Nelson's a tougher one to take. But Joe Willock is not an Arsenal 
footballer for a, for a, a top six Arsenal. No. For me. Oh. Wendia might not be, but if, if Wendia was going to cost 30 million and you chuck in Joe Willock and get him for 20 and you sell Eddie for 15, that is exactly what your academy is for. That, that's a huge upgrade. Balogun looks an upgrade on Eddie. Wendia is absolutely an upgrade on Willock. Suddenly you're going, that is how a club like us should be managed. Yeah, and I I think that sort of uh, is, is a nice point, particularly when we're looking at uh, potentially Buendia um, and the whole Willock's potential of him going the other way. The, the, the main issue is that when Smith Rowe comes off the pitch, you're replacing him with Joe Willock. And Joe Willock is not at the level of Smith Rowe, and he's not. You're right; he's not at the level required to play that role for Arsenal. Um, and I, I don't think there is a role for him. I think he could be a squad player um, that plays a few games here and there and comes off the bench when you need a bit um, some legs. But I think a club of the size of Arsenal should be looking for players to do more than that. Hmm. Um, we we we've said time and time again that Willock's big thing is that he he can run, which <laughs> at a at a football club, unfortunately, that that shouldn't be what separates you from the rest. But he does at Arsenal at times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I I did want to touch on on the Buendia links because every time I have seen him, I've been I, I have been impressed by him. And one of my good friends is a Norwich season ticket holder. And it's always a shame when they're not in the Premier League because it's uh, a nice little weekend away when uh, when they are up there. Um, but but anyway, he's raved about him and said that he's absolutely tearing it up in the Championship and he's not even out of third gear. <laughs> that was how he described him. Mm. So I, I obviously I, I I trust his judgment and I I, I I I would like that one to happen. My issue with it happening is that for Norwich to sell mid-season when they're chasing promotion. <laughs> that's where it starts getting complicated. And I think we would have to pay probably over the odds to get him now to make sure that we get the deal done in January, which I'm not sure we will be willing to do that. And I don't think Norwich would be willing to do that because going up is obviously worth so much more to them than the 20, 30 million that we would pay them for Buendia. So it's it's a tough one. Yeah, and also this is what I'm saying. Don't pay over the odds for that now because they would do, probably do that deal in the summer i equally have a, a norwich uh, supporting season ticket holding friend and he said please don't take buendia which is a text on my phone today uh so you know I, I i agree but this is this is what i'm saying at this point i think most fans and the club should go do you know what eight wouldn't be bad if we can continue this positive momentum keep gelling this uh you know front three or at least you know the blend of attackers we've got chuck in martinelli who didn't play at the weekend and get a tune out of them that's what it's all about but if we can use our academy in this way to improve things then i think that's exactly what we should be doing but i agree with you don't pay over the odds be patient it will be you know it sort of it will be okay because <laughs> um, if we just yeah. if we show capability of playing like that fans are very forgiving i think and um, so we should be yeah, and I think that that's a, that's a really good point because all, all of a sudden the noise about Arteta's future is, is kind of dissipated um, on the back of those three wins. And as, as you say, if they can, if fans can see that progress and see where the team is heading, and particularly if we can piece together some football like we did at West Brom, then 
they are forgiving and they are willing to have a bit of patience. So it's all about making sure that what we do in the transfer market is all geared towards progressing this football club. And mm. obviously, we've seen Kalasinac go out on loan. Uh, we've seen Saliba go out on loan in the in the, the last day. So those are two things which have changed the dynamic of the squad slightly. Um, obviously, we need to get players out um, if we are going to get any players in. Um, and you'd hope that that's not the end of the outgoings. Um do you know how long Klasnach has left on his contract, by the way? Um, I think it's a year and a half. Okay, so he'll come back with a year and then we'll probably be start with him for another year. <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, well, maybe. Ho ho hopefully Schalke stay up and then he can go there permanently. Yeah, I mean, they've got three points at the minute. Now, if Klasnach goes there and turns their fortunes around, I've got some serious questions about the Bundesliga. That's that's just all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> also, with him going and Socrates, uh, I I read uh, Socrates as offers from I think it was something like Napoli, uh, Fenerbahce, Olympiakos, and it said Socrates uh, is deciding on where he will go. He wants to go to the place that offers him the higher highest wages, and I was like. What kind of reporting? Of course he does. He doesn't care. Because <laughs> why hasn't cancelled his contract for good Yeah, anyway. unfortunately, unfortunately, the place where he's going to get the highest wages is Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. But but with him gone, there is and Saliba gone, and Kolasinac out the squad, there is an open space. If we don't sign anyone, <laughs> if we don't sign anyone, you can't not put him in the 25, can you? Well, you'd think not. Um, <laughs> you can imagine, imagine, that imagine, imagine yeah, imagine we get rid of someone else as well, and then do, do you purposely not put Ozil in the 25? <laughs> You'd have to, you'd have to. But you'd have to play him in the last minute of the last Premier League game with no fans. As a, as a farewell, so he can uh, applaud the empty stands. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking, of, uh, talking of team news, I don't believe he can play in the FA Cup, but I'm not actually sure. But Newcastle Cup team, of course, we are the holders. Are you looking for rotation? Are you looking for more of the same? We don't play again till the following Thursday? I, I think more of the same. I think it's about building that consistency now. Um, we're on a really nice run. And if we can get through in the cup as well and have a good cup run, then then potentially that that's something which could help our, our league form. And, and the fact that we've had uh, a week's rest before that game and then um, up to the Thursday for to rest again, I just don't see the, the need to rotate that heavily. Um, certainly not the way that he was in the League Cup. Um, and in the Europa League. So I'd hope to see a strong team. Um, I don't see, the, I, I just don't, I don't see the point in, in rotating, putting players in for the sake of it, just to give them game time. Mm. Um, I certainly don't want to see Runnison in goal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, and I don't, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's any risk of that either, if I'm honest. I think he's... Uh, say, look, Pepe can't get on the pitch. Pepe was a goalie. I, I would honestly be up for Pepe in goal. <laughs> Save, saving things with his left foot. <laughs> top top corner, left foot, hoik it out. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd rotate a bit more. I mean, Pepe, for example, not in goal, should play. Uh, Cedric, 
probably Maitland-Niles, take minute. I wouldn't want Tierney to play, for example. Probably play Gabriel and David Luiz. I, I would actually change quite a lot. But only because I think Newcastle will do the same because I don't think they care about going far in this. Yeah, um, I, I, I think they'll. I think we could well see a bit of a middle ground. Uh, I think it will be a strong team, but with a few changes in there. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and give Saka a rest um, yeah. because he's played a lot of football. So Pepe coming in for Saka looks like the obvious one, or uh, Willian because mm. we. Yeah, we love seeing William play. <laughs> well, I'd play Willian number. I would give him a run at number ten in this new. Yeah, game well, you play. can. Do, yeah, yeah. That, I, I, I think you need to find an option that you can play instead of Smith Rowe because you can't play him every game. No. So that would be the uh, the temptation. And but, fingers uh, fingers crossed, um, Party can can play some part because I think he will be so important for us until the end of the end of the season if we can get him back. Yeah, he just needs to be fit. If he's fit, then he changes our midfield drastically, um, and all of a sudden we become a lot, a lot less passive um, in in that area of the pitch. So, fingers crossed, he is back imminently. Yes. Um, uh, so, Tom, I've got to ask you. So, uh, we obviously went into a national lockdown here in the UK uh, yesterday, and there were forty positive tests from this week's COVID testing in the Premier League. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, that's on average to a club. Thank you. That's my uh, maths GCSE coming in clutch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you feel about football continuing? Because I think it's a topic that is uh, an interesting one. I'm kind of in two minds, if I'm honest, because part of me wants it to continue because... Uh, it is one of my only outlets at the moment. It's one of the only things that I still have in my life that I can en- enjoy. And obviously, it's not enjoying to the same level that we usually do when we go to games and things like that. But it's still on TV every night. It's still something which is on in my house pretty much all the time if there's a game on. So that that part of it, I, I hope it stays. But from the other perspective, it feels it does feel almost almost wrong that everything else and every other industry is almost going into having to close down, not happen yet. Football is allowed to continue. It's kind of uh, that, that area of it doesn't sit right with me, but I suppose because they are in that position where they're getting tested so often, um, it's, it means that it's a lot safer for them than it would be in any other, any other job, I guess. Um, but I think it will get it, it, it if the numbers keep climbing within football, then it will get to a point where a decision's got to be made. Mm. And I think that they'll hold off as long as they can. And obviously, without the government saying that they need to stop, they're, they're going to do everything in their power to to, to carry on. So, yeah. not not really a definitive answer. But those are kind of the two the two sides of the coin that make it make it such a difficult one um, yeah. from my perspective. What about you? Well, I'm a little bit the show must go on because, my goodness, if you took football away from many people now, it's already hard enough. And like you said, it's on all the time. And uh, I think my biggest issue is that, of course, stories, particularly over the Christmas period, emerged. Uh, My favourite, of course, being about uh, Manchester City fullback Benjamin Mendy. Uh, Now, I I don't know if you have have seen the quotes um, because they are magnificent. Um, but the way I feel about football, I'm going to dig them out momentarily. My issue with footballers at the moment 
is it's a little bit like who 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 do you think you are like <laughs> what a great reference <laughs> because like who do they think they are it's an absolute disgrace if i'm honest with you uh, the way they're acting and like the picture of of course Spurs would have their fingerprints all over it and especially that little <laughs> Regulon. Um but I I you know and Lamella of course prick uh having that, <laughs> having that party sort of says it all but Benjamin Mendy and the footballers doing this to take the piss it, that's what blows my mind because they don't realize how lucky they are to be in the situation they're in and do nothing about, you know, and that's how they treat it. And I think that's the biggest problem I have with it, that football needs to carry on, but they've got to take a lot more responsibility than they are. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. It really is because they are so fortunate that they can still do what they're doing and their lives within a professional sense are not changing that much. And all that's being asked for them is follow the rules. Mm. Follow the rules when you're not at your football club. And I, ca- I cannot believe how many of them are incapable of doing it. They must know they're going to get caught. They must know that someone's going to take a picture and, so- and someone's going to get a picture out somewhere or see someone going into their house. It's, it's, it's so idiotic that they can't <laughs> figure out what might happen. Um, have you found the Benjamin Mendy quote? I have. Yet? Are you ready? Okay, this is uh, from uh, 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 the Sunsport. Benjamin Mendy hosted a party at home on New Year's Eve and has admitted he may have breached rules as friends outside his household attended the event. So he may have breached the rules. He had people over who shouldn't be in there, but he's admitted he only may have breached the rules. He (laughs) claimed his girlfriend, niece, nephew, who all live with him, attended the party along with a chef. Mendy (laughs) has also insisted... He did not let three girls who left his home early in the morning inside his home. Now, remember, he lives with his girlfriend, niece and nephew. Okay, Benjamin Mendy also requested for a modelling agent to send girls from London to visit him in Cheshire. Mendy declared he wanted a, air quotes, big bum Latina in one message. However, there is no suggestion the agent sent any girls. (laughs) Cutting edge reporting. But I, I, if I don't, Benjamin I don't, Mendy has got the audacity to ask for a big bum Latina, all I ask is that he fucking stays away from people so he can keep football going, because that's what drives me mad. I'll tell you what, I'd love a chef. I'd love a chef in <laughs> my house. Chef. <laughs> <laughs> what size chef? Uh, <laughs> a big bum chef. <laughs> I was. I thought you were going to read my mind and say little chef, um, but uh, oh, I, I should have. I, I I went with the I went with the uh, the previous um, comment. Um, oh, I should have done. I should have gone with the little chef, but uh, a big bummed chef would be uh, good as well. Anyway, we're moving on to the kits. So every week we talk about a kit or a memory, as was uh, last week from a a time frame, but uh, a kit that we remember from years gone by and some of the goals that we remember as a result of that. So uh, this week, uh, I will go first this week with uh, my selection. And the kit that we're looking at is the 2013-14 away shirt, which was a lovely yellow shirt with some blue on it. And that was the kit that we wore the first season that we signed Meza Ozil. So... 
Um, lots of memories there. But one of the ones that comes to me immediately is Serge Gnabry's uh, only goal that he scored for Arsenal. Now, that was away at Swansea. And after some sort of nice play in the middle of the park, the ball, I think it's Jack Wilshire plays the ball into um, Gnabry. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one touch out of his feet and then back across the face of the goal and into the far corner. And what that kind of brings up is that he is very much the one that got away. Um, it's really, really disappointing that he did, did leave without making the impression on us that he should have done or could have done. Um, but... He showed his promise that day and he had a little run in the team around that period. But particularly that game, he was really just a thorn in the side of Swansea for the entire afternoon. Um, And I just thought he was one of those youngsters who came in and looked like someone that was ready to play at that level. Um, And what I mean by that is not necessarily how he played, but it's to, it's to do with his physicality. And he was so physical from the start when he came in that uh, I felt like he, he looked like he belonged there. And unfortunately, he got a, a number of injuries which set him back. And then and obviously the infamous loan spell at West Bromwich Albion, which Tony Pulis tagged him as not good enough to play for them. <laughs> but obviously, look at what he's gone on to achieve. And he just is a player that you see doing well and you're you're happy for him but it is it is tinged with regret that we didn't get to see that at Arsenal yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and you sense that day it felt like a a real coming of age goal but as you said it didn't it didn't quite uh, transpire that way yeah yeah but uh, a really a really lovely goal um and I when I was doing a bit of research for this I did watch it earlier and it was uh I found a compilation of his um, his uh, game that day. So it's like a five-minute video of all, the, all, the, all of his involvement. And it was really, really cool to see because you, you forget some of the little things that happen that aren't, aren't goals. Um, and I'll post that on our social media channels because it, it, I think it's a, a worthwhile one to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andre, would you like to tell me about your first goal? Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's sort of in keeping with uh, my commentary, I think, that uh, brought this all together. And it is Olivier Giroud's goal uh, away at Sunderland. Now, I uh, the reason this one came straight to mind is because this was Meza Ozil's debut. And he started uh, playing behind Olivier Giroud. We were away at Sunderland, first of all. And uh, it's, it's early in the first half, sort of 20, 10, 15 minutes in. Nothing really had happened. And uh, Ozil makes a run from the number 10 position down to the left wing. Kieran Gibbs spots him and just launches a ball down the line. Nothing special. Ozil gets onto it. One touch. In the way he did then, you know, he observed his surroundings. He saw who was running. He saw that Olivier, if he just put it on that blade of grass there, Olivier Giroud, even Olivier Giroud, would sweep that one home comfortably with his left foot from the edge of the box. And it was just an absolutely superb assist. And again, I know we, you know, he went on to score against Napoli, I think on the, the, the midweek. But it was just, wow, what a player we've got here. And all the players ran to him after he scored. Because they went, wow, no one's done that here for a long time. Um, Because I think we'd had a bit of a creativity issue. And to have the world's best playmaker at the time was so exciting. And I just remember that kit, that swept finish, 
fantastic. Ramsey actually went on to score twice more uh, in that game as well, and he was brilliant that day. Yeah, um, just just to re-emphasise that feeling again, which we touched on earlier, and you just described it so well. Um, but that felt like a moment where, when he produced that touch and that assist, it felt like a we've got Meza Ozil, we've got Meza Ozil at our football club, mm. and that that was that was a real standout moment because. Whenever you sign someone, and I, I, I was always pretty confident when we did sign Ozil that it was it was going to be successful. Um, and obviously, some people will argue that it wasn't. But in general, I don't think you can really criticise Ozil's Arsenal career that drastically um, when you look at the numbers of assists and chances that he creates. But that moment was the one that made me stand up and go, wow, like that, that was worth it. What 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 a what a signing this is, and, and and like we said earlier, it did feel like we were going back to the top with that with that sort of signing. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so my second goal is a goal by Matthew Flamini, who we love on this podcast. We do. Here's to you. At, here's to you, Matthew Flamini, and it is a goal at Cardiff away. And what I loved about this goal was that it was a swift counter-attack. Again, it was a, a magnificent assist from Mesut Ozil to pass the ball onto the point, like you said, with Olivier Giroud, of, of the grass where Flamini just couldn't miss. And it's perfectly weighted and Flamini just twats it straight into the top corner. <laughs> and there was nothing. It was the What I loved about the goal was it was two complete opposite players doing complete opposite things. Meza Ozil was just playing a beautifully weighted, perfectly crafted pass through a defence. And Matthew Flamini just puts his foot through it. And that's all there is to it. It's a driving run from midfield and then putting his foot to put it into the top corner. And it's just two completely opposite things, which I which I think is so lovely about that goal. Yeah. Um, that put us 2-0 up and uh, Ramsey got two in that game. We ended up winning 3-0. Um, but... Another really, really fantastic memory that I've got of that kit. And any any game that includes a Flamini goal is a is a game that I'm I'm passionate about. Absolutely. I mean, this was um this is actually the season I attended the most fixtures of. So I think I went to 52 games home and away this season. Um, and uh, I was at that one. And Ramsey's header, let me tell you, in the first half was sensational. But that Flamini goal got like was limbs. Because it was Flamini as well, and it was also yeah. wrapping up three more points. It was uh, it was spectacular. I've actually got a picture from that day uh, that the Cardiff Cardiff's a great away day, and it said, "Thank you for travelling three hundred miles. Have a great day and a safe journey home." And then there were two Arsenal players uh, on this little banner, which was Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Özil. It's very lovely. I'll put it through and uh, post it for you. Beautiful stuff. It was re- weird because Cardiff were wearing red that day, which was very, very strange. Yeah, that that strange uh, <laughs> period that they went through where their owner tried to turn that into their thing, which I, I, I know didn't go down well with their supporters. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, yeah, so uh, to wrap this up, I'm actually going to change it. I'm going to follow your follow suit um from you uh, last week changing at the last minute because uh, I think you described the Swansea game beautifully um as I said I actually uh this was the the season I did my ACL so uh where I had the year without um 
being able to jog or do any exercise really or anything. And I was on crutches for six weeks of this season. And it was my first ever season of owning a season ticket as well. Um, so uh, games meant a lot more. And that Swansea one you described was so good. And I remember being overly emotional with that win because we, we hadn't beaten Swansea uh, comfortably in a while. But the goal I'm going to go with was actually away at West Ham. Um, because it, for its rarity, as much as anything, which was uh, Theo Walcott heading in in the 70th minute to put us 2-1 up on Boxing Day. We're 1-0 down at half-time playing really badly. And then we had one of those turnarounds we used to have where it was an, an, an air of inevitability that we would eventually turn it round. Um, and we actually went top of the Premier League again that day. Um, so two Theo goals. This was a, a header. Balls works its way down the left to Podolski, who whips in a lovely cross. And Walcott run is sprinting in from the right-hand side with a bullet header past uh, none other than Adrian. Um to, to mark a fantastic Boxing Day, um, great goal, and I always like a rare, a rare header from a player who never scores one as well. <laughs> yeah, they are they are always uh, a novelty, um, and a header by Theo Walcott is uh, pro- probably more than a novelty because it happens so so rarely. <laughs> Did he get another one? I'm tr- I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think of any other obvious example of him scoring a header goal. No. I mean, I might he, did, be wrong. He, he did the classic pointing at his head for a while, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I always think Clam. is a pretty bad sign as a professional footballer that people are like that surprised you've scored a header. Classic Theo. Classic <laughs> Theo. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so that brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. Um, Thank you to everyone who has listened to any of our podcasts to date. Um, Obviously, there is a back catalogue of all the episodes we've done on uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also see what we're up to on social media by um, searching for The Boys in Red and White on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So thank you very much for your time as always, Mr. Grayson. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has. It's it's so lovely to feel so positive. And it is so lovely to feel so positive. And hopefully the next time we record, we will be on the back of progressing in the FA Cup against Newcastle with a slightly changed team. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Goodbye. And we'll see you again next week.